0: Bow your heads and join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we have this time to gather. We give you thanks that we can indeed come into your presence and truly know you. Loving God, take this time and use it for your purpose. May this be holy time even as we stand on holy ground. Loving God, may this be an hour at least that we have set aside for you and for your glory. Loving God, make this ground, holy ground, whether we are here in person, whether we are joining in online. Loving God, may this be your time that we can truly know you moving in our lives, feeling the power of your grace, transforming us into who you need us to be. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. that as we look back, on our lives we can see the places where you have made it well where you have calmed the storms where you have been with us in the midst of deep trial where you have brought healing and transformation and hope where we thought there could be none And so, God, even as we do take this time and pause and lift up what is on our hearts, the places where we are still in deep need of you, we cast our eyes back and see all of those places where where you have carried us. And we are deeply thankful for that. And so now we come to you with with hearts bowed knowing that we are still a people in deep need of you, and we still live in a world that is in deep need of you. And so we lift up to you um, a friend of Regina Finch um, who had some tests run and are getting the results back this week. Uh, God, we pray for this person. God, we pray for those tests. God, we pray for good news. Um, And certainly, God, we pray uh, that whatever it is that it can be resolved, and it can be that this stress and pain and suffering can be turned to joy and healing. We also lift up our dear sister, uh, Regina, um, prayers for rest um, and for energy. Uh, God, we pray that her rest may be effective and that she may be filled once again with your en- with energy from you to live the life that you have called her to. We lift up Sandra uh, in her ongoing uh, battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, God, we pray for your healing hand uh, to rest upon her, uh, that the cancer may be defeated, uh, that she may be made. Well, we lift up Pastor Emily, um, who is home sick today. God, we pray uh, that her stomach may return to normal, uh, that she uh, may get back uh, to her normal and very full life. Uh, we lift up, of course, our dear brother John Have Um, God, we pray for your healing uh, to be with him. God, we pray for you to move in his heart, move in his body, move in his mind, that he may be fully restored um, and brought home once again to us um, as that source of leadership and vibrancy um, and humor that he is. Loving God, we are thankful uh, for John and for Bela. But God, we pray that your healing hand may rest upon him. God, we lift up all of those places where we are broken, all of those places where we are hurting. Certainly, we lift up the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and pray for those who need healing in that, even as we give you thanks for progress that has been made. God, we pray that for full healing um, and that our lives may return to, I don't even know what normal is anymore. Um, But God, also stir up in us that desire to serve you, that desire to love you, that desire to know the second chance, that next chance that we have received from you just by asking for it. God, may we take that and run with it, being your people in the world, being your hands and feet, being a part of your transformation, both of ourselves um, and of the world around us. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen. Y'all may be seated. Um, and now I invite the children uh, to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. Come on down, friends. All right, so I want to tell y'all a story um, of uh, me when I was y'all's age. So when I was y'all's age, I was really good at sports that involved throwing. Um, I was really bad at sports that involved running. And so baseball was great for me. Soccer was bad for me. I was very slow. And so when there would be, you know, you have in PE class and someone would pick a team captain and then the team captains would pick their teams. If it was a running sport, I always got picked last. And I didn't really like that, right? Because it never feels good to get picked last. You see, there's this guy in the Bible named Paul. He's one of the most important um, people he wrote a lot of the Bible. He was a very early follower of Jesus, traveled all over the place planting churches and teaching people about God. He tells a story in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 19 that he got picked last as an apostle, that all of these other people got picked to be a preacher of God before he did. Peter got picked and James Jesus' brother got picked and like 500 other people got picked and then he got picked last or got picked real late but he's writing in corinthians and says you know what that's okay though because god is still using me and it all worked out and so if you are picked last if you are worried that because you're picked last you might not be able to do something great turns out you still can because paul was picked last and paul wrote like i don't know half of the new testament of the bible so you guys pray with me take hands like this Putting it like this, close your eyes, be after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us talents. Help us to live for your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. You can go back to your seats. Absolutely. Our scripture reading this morning comes uh, from the 15th chapter. of of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, uh, verses 1 through 11. 11. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you, in turn, received, in which also you stand, through which you also are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance, what I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at at one time, uh, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they... So we proclaimed, and so you have come to believe. Say is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Amen. So, a couple weeks ago, Mary Barnhart and I got into an argument. That in and of itself is not headline news. Uh, She is the chairperson of our board of stewards, in part so that she will argue with me, that's her, one of her core functions in this church is to argue, argue with me. No, and it wasn't even really an argument. We've had much more fun arguments. Mary noticed something about our church, that my name is nowhere. It is not in the bulletin. It is not on the sign. If we had a billboard, it wouldn't be there either. Uh, when we have to pretend like we have letterhead to function in an adult world, we do occasionally put my name on the top of it, but there's no pre-printed letterhead with my name on it. And Mary, as she is wont to do, as in her important function, quizzically asked, why is that? Why is my name absolutely nowhere? And I gave some answer that I, was, I swear it was not particularly good. But I continue to reflect on why my, why I have not put I'm the Friends, I'm the one who designed the new bulletin layout. I could have put my name there if I wanted to. Do. This isn't, there's not some, you know, shadow secretary leaving my name off things. I didn't put my name on the sign. N- neither of our churches um, is my name on the sign. I did not put my name in the bulletin. My name is not on the Springfield Bulletin either. And I realized, as I reflected on it, it's because I don't think I'm worthy of it. It feels exalted to me to put my name on a thing. I get that I am the lead pastor of this church. That's what the Methodist Church tells me. But it feels feels one thing to have this job. And it feels another thing for me to plaster my name everywhere. Because in the end, I'm just a punk kid from the suburbs. I'm just a reformed street racer who somehow found his way into ministry by the grace of God. When my home church, where I grew up, it is this truly giant steeple, and there was a hallway um, in that. Still is there's a hallway in that church with like gilt framed, like pictures of all of the former, not the associates, only the senior pastors. And of all the senior pastors, I swear to God, they're wearing the same robe and the same stole. And these, you know, it's like that your 1980s glamour shots of all of these pastors going back to the late 70s when that church was founded. And I have never felt worthy of any of that. Because I'm not whatever those guys were with the, you know, the, the whatever, the no hair and the clean cut and the very nice suits and the perfect robes, and I can't even get this stole to stay on right. I've never felt worthy of anything. It always has felt too exalted to me. When you get ordained in this annual conference, you get like a dot you get two documents. One is your official like clergy record. That's the thing that says, hello, I am licensed as an ordained person. I can do the ordained person things like Mary and Barry and Communion and Baptize and run churches. And then you get this other document that they think is supposed to, like, inspire you. It's you traced all the way back to the founding of the Methodist Church by John Wesley in the 1700s. It's like John Wesley ordained this person who ordained this person who ordained this person who ordained this person who ordained ordained you. And you're supposed to, like, look back at that document and go, I am so inspired by the people that I am connected to. But actually, when I look at that and go, and goes, man, that's a heck of a lot to live up to, friends. You've put some real important people on that list. That's a heck of a lineage. you got John Wesley, who, like, founded this whole new denomination. You've got Francis Asbury, who kind of established Methodist Church here in the United States by, like, writing all over the frontier of America in the late 1700s. That's a heck of a gig, right? That's a heck of a thing to live up to. And so, what it plays into me, what all of this is about, is this idea of imposter syndrome. This is an actual documented psychological thing that a lot of people suffer from that is like, no matter how actually skilled you are, and we can debate, and Mary will gladly debate with you, how actually skilled as a pastor I am, no matter how good you are at something, you look around at the other people who have either done it before you or who are doing it now and go, I'm I'm not sure I fit in to this crowd. As a a theologian, that feeling strikes me as oddly apt. We actually, we're going to look at it, we see Paul suffering from that in this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There often is that feeling of unworthiness. And yet, by the power of Christ, by the power that is the resurrection and the grace that comes from that. God can take those of us who are unworthy and still do mighty things and transform our own lives in the process. That God's grace can do something tangible in our lives. And I think we all have those stories within us, but that's what makes us able to not be imposters in God's kingdom. And it it's not that all these other people sinned far less than I did, and that's why they belong. I feel that way when I go to, I'll be, I'll be honest, I feel that way when I go to pastor's conferences. I walk in and go, man, I bet these kids were way better in high school than I was. Jeez. And that may well be true. But by the grace of God, I also get to be in that room. That there isn't like a competition among sinners of who gets to belong and who doesn't. We're all sinners. We all have our sins of choice. We all had our sins of choice. And yet by the power of God's grace, we can be transformed. What's fascinating about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is it gives us a window, not just into Paul's life, but it gives us a window into early Christian worship. A few weeks ago in the Mosaic service, I had them read the Apostles' Creed, and I had them read the Nicene Creed, these 2,000-year-old, 1,700-year-old words that Christians believe, statements of belief. But embedded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is something older. Than the Nicene Creed, and something even older than the Apostles' Creed, which comes from the first century Church of Rome, this has a creed that we think comes from the Jerusalem Church in, like, I don't know, immediately after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it is contained here as verses 3 through 7. For I have handed on to you, as of first importance, what I in turn had received. Now the creed begins. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Scholars think that maybe that little interjection about uh, most of whom are still alive, but some have died, was not in the creed statement. That sounds like a little weird, weird. That sounds like a weird thing to stand up and read in church. We think that's Paul adding an aside into what is one of the first creeds ever written by Christians. That immediately after Jesus ascended into heaven, this is what they were saying in Sunday morning worship. And what's cool about it also is. 1 Corinthians is written in like between 54 and 57. We're only talking, we're less than 20 years after Jesus, around 20 years after Jesus' ascension. And here we get this window into what early Christian worship was like. And this lists the heroes of the faith. You know, Peter, who Cephas, who's Peter, the rock on which the church is built, and, and James, the brother of Christ, who was kind of takes on the leadership, in particular after Peter's martyrdom, and, and those who were there in the upper room, and those who were there at the ascension. These are the heroes, the pillars, the faith, the headliners, even still to this day. But Paul's not on that list. Paul isn't there. Because Paul wasn't around at that time. Paul had a very different job at that time. Paul was not worshiping Christ when Christ was making his post-resurrection appearances. Paul was working with the Pharisees and the chief priests to hunt down and kill Christians. And so you hear his Feeling of unworthiness. Paul having his own version of the imposter syndrome. um, And that is verses 8 and 9. For I am the least of the apostles. Unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, oh excuse me, yeah. Get to the first 10 in a minute. This is harsh. This is a harsh self-evaluation by Paul. When you read harsh words about other Christians written by Paul, read Galatians. He can get harsh at other people. Know that that Paul turns that same harsh lens onto himself. That he is the least of the apostles. That he has no right to be here because he persecuted the church. And, well, he's kind of right. It's harsh. But he's got a point. He did start out his career Not loving Christ, but making sure that Christians got violence. This is um, a painting of the stoning of uh, St. Stephen. Um, Paul is not the guy with the halo. That's Stephen. Paul's the blonde-headed dude doing this point. Like that. He's pointing at Stephen going, yeah, get him! Kill that dude! I'll watch your coat! That's what Paul does. As Stephen early leader in the church, was killed by the crowd. He watched the coats of those doing the stoning to make sure their clothes didn't get messed up in the midst of the blood and the violence. And then, in Acts chapter 9, we hear about Paul setting off on a um, hunting Christians tour. We joked on the podcast that he becomes a little Christian bounty hunter, right? He goes off on his own bounty hunting mission to hunt down Christians. And so, that he ends up an apostle at all, he's wildly strange. He knows he's carried this deep sin in his heart. And it makes him unworthy of being there. But because this is the resurrection of Christ, and because this is a story of God's grace, Paul's story doesn't end there with the martyrdom of Stephen and Paul going on a Christian hunting mission. Instead, where it lands is what Paul says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He didn't deserve to be there. And yet, because Christ rose from the dead and unleashed God's grace in the world, Paul gets to be there anyway. And as Paul says, it certainly wasn't in vain. He really did work harder than anyone, traveling all over the world um, in a time when travel was difficult and dangerous, facing stonings of his own, uh, facing murder, facing hardship, facing physical injury, facing imprisonment, right? Like Paul goes through the ringer for God over and over and over again, putting himself at risk, and also writing these letters that form the backbone of what we know about God and what we who we know Jesus to be. So much of who we are as Christians is shaped by Paul's ministry 2,000 years ago. It certainly worked out. Because Paul knew the life-changing grace that comes from the resurrection of Christ. That he was transformed by the resurrection. And what that resurrection not just meant for the people who got to be there, but meant for anyone who came after, because that grace is still in the world today and certainly was there for Paul. And so if you look at your own life, you look at what's become before this moment, or what came before your Christian walk, or what came before anything, and think, "Man, I'm not—I'm not sure I—I I, I deserve to be here. I'm not sure I fit in. They knew what I did. Oh man! Guess what? You're in good company. If you ever felt unworthy, unworthy of God's love. Unworthy of God's calling. Unworthy of God's forgiveness. Unworthy of even being allowed into the doors of a church. I certainly have. I have those thoughts often, and I literally get paid to be here. (laughs) Real strange scenario. Well, it turns out that's all of us, really. We're in really good company. That's Paul. Read the story of Peter as Christ um, is being put on trial and tortured betrays him, runs off, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And even Peter, the rock on which the church is built, one of the first people who Jesus appears to after he rises from the dead, had to ask for forgiveness because he knew he wasn't worthy of it either. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who I mentioned I was intimidated by, by being on the same list of names as him, he was a failed missionary before he was a successful pastor. He went to Georgia because he thought he was going to convert the Native Americans. None of that happened. Instead, he got driven out of Georgia with an arrest warrant hanging over his head because of a very strange relationship he had with the governor's daughter. They don't really teach you this one in Methodist Sunday School, but it's a true story, right? So John Wesley is a failed missionary. Uh, Paul is an ex-Christian murderer, uh, Peter betrayed Jesus right when Jesus needed him the most. All of the other disciples save John fled out of fear. So you ever feel unworthy? That's all of us. But, hear the good news, friends. The power of the resurrection. The power that transformed Paul. The power that transformed Peter, the power that transformed John Wesley, the power that transforms anything is there for you right now in your life, in this room, that because Christ rose from the dead, because he went to that cross as a willing sacrifice, because he had never sinned before and went anyways out of love for you and defeated death in the process, grace is there for you. Purpose is there for you. Transformation is there for you. You, like Paul, you, like Peter, can be transformed by the power of the resurrection because of how much God loves you and because of what that grace and that resurrection means for you. You do not have to look backwards of who you were. You only have to look forward of who you can be with God's grace in your life. The rest of that gets wiped out. If Paul gets forgiven, if Peter gets forgiven, so do you. That power. Yes. Paul can think of himself as the least of the apostles because of what he did. But because the power of what Christ did, that's not the thing that mattered. What mattered was the resurrection he could find and the transformation ...that he could find. The early church changed the day that they worshipped. We used to worship along the lines of the Jewish Sabbath... ...because Christianity came out of Judaism. We worship on Sunday... ...because that's the day Christ rose from the dead. We are supposed to celebrate resurrection every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, there's Easter Sunday and we're going to get there. That's a couple months from now. You know, spoilers, Christ rises... We're supposed to celebrate that every week because it's because of that resurrection that we too can be resurrected, that we too can be transformed by God's grace. Amen. Encounter with you to go forth in this place and know that your grace, your resurrection, your transformation is there for us in our lives. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you. Form one united body in Christ, the power of Christ's spirit. That is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God loves us. Loves us to the point of dying on a cross. May we let that love set us free and change our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.